0: Just a note, I received an email this afternoon that Reverend Joe Holsteg has accepted the call he was given from the first Protestant Farm Church of Grand Rapids. So we're thankful for that congregation. Our periphy of scripture this evening is from Matthew's Gospel chapter twenty-one. And we're going to begin our reading at verse 23 to the end of the chapter. And our text will be the second parable in our passage. Matthew chapter 21, beginning our reading at verse 23. And when he, that is Jesus, Come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it, from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, For all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and he said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and he said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second, and he said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whither of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, the first. Jesus saith unto them, verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you, For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a winepress in it and built a tower and let it out to the husbandmen and went into a far country and when the time of fruit drew near he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it and the husbandmen took his servants and they beat one and killed another and stoned another again he sent other servants more than the first and they did unto them likewise but last of all he sent unto them his son saying they will reverence my son but when the husbandmen saw the son they said among themselves this is the heir come let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance and they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard And slew him. When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and be given unto a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. So far as the reading of God's word, may he bless the preaching of it these two parables and now this one in particular were preached by Jesus only a couple days before his death Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem triumphantly on a donkey the people hailing him He went to the temple and he cleansed it, chasing out those who were changing money and selling animals, for it's his father's house. He cursed the fig tree because it looked like it should have fruit, but it had absolutely no fruit. He comes and he does miracles, healing people, and speaking there, In the temple. And those Pharisees and chief priests challenge him. Where is your authority to do these things? For in those days, if one would speak, they were supposed to have the okay of the rabbis. Jesus doesn't answer their question completely, does he? He turns it on their head. John the Baptist. By what authority did he do it? And now these parables to these wicked men who were challenging him. These wicked men who would slay him. This parable uses two very well-known figures known to his audience. On the one hand, the vineyard, and on the second, A building made up of many stones laid up on a foundation stone. And the point of this particular parable is to point out that Christ is the only Son of God, sinfully rejected by men, but in his death, wonderfully exalted by God. The questions that confronted those Jews that day, and the question that confronts us today as we read the scripture, what think ye of my Christ? What think ye of my Christ? Notice with me, my theme is Christ rejected and Christ exalted. The first point, the vineyard of the Lord that is pictured here. Second point, Christ rejected by the wicked husbandmen. And the third point, Christ exalted as the cornerstone. The vineyard of the Lord, Christ rejected, Christ exalted. He comes there into Jerusalem as the king of the Jews. That is how they hail him, the Son of David, and that is what is also going to be put on his throat on his, on his cross. So Jesus, in these, both of these parables, talks about that vineyard. And that's well known to the people. For example, we have. Isaiah chapter 5. In fact, Jesus really borrows his parable from that wonderful parable told by Isaiah. In Isaiah 5 we read, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it, and he gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a winepress therein, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could I have done more to my vineyard than I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up. And I will break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste It shall not be pruned, neither digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command that the clouds, they rain, no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but beheld oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry. So a well-known figure here that they could see all over on the hills, directed to Israel itself and to Judah. Later on, Jesus will take up that very figure for himself, as you all know with me, I am the vine and ye are the branches. But here in this parable, as Jesus tells it, the vineyard is not looking at Israel or Judah, but rather it is looking at the kingdom of God. That kingdom of God as it comes in its historical and in its visible manifestation amongst his people, those who were his people. And so while it's identified with Israel and the Jewish nation, it changes, doesn't it? It changes in the new dispensation and it's manifested in his church. What is important here is that God is the one who possesses that vineyard for he it is that planted it. It's his. God's kingdom. And what care God gave to that kingdom, didn't he? Here Jesus uses almost the very same words from Isaiah chapter 5. You have God as the one who plants it. The vineyard is the kingdom of God. And now his lovely, lovely labor on that. He hedged it about. He took the stones out of that hilly ground and he made a hedge around it, either of stones or of thorn bushes, to keep out the animals or marauders who would want to steal those grapes. God, during the history of Judah, separated them from all the other nations, and he planted them there in the land of Canaan. That is the image now of the Landowner who lets out his vineyard, God takes his kingdom, and when he brings Israel out of Egypt into the land of Canaan, they are those who take care of that kingdom of God. So he hedged it about. He carefully separated them out from the other peoples, saying, do not marry with them, do not serve their gods. And he fenced them in. He fenced them in with his law from Sinai. He told them how they are to behave themselves in his vineyard. And he digged a wine press in it. In other words, there's two different hollows where the one you would stomp on the grapes and make it a juice, and it would flow then through a pipe down into another basin, and there it would be collected. So fruits are expected from the vineyard by this land order, and fruits are expected also by the Lord in the kingdom of God as is manifested by Israel and by Judah. And he built a tower in it. For the Lord himself is a high tower, isn't he, that we can run to for refuge and strength. And it is in that tower, too, that the fruits are to be brought to him. How wonderfully, God took this little country called Judah and Israel. God was their refuge. He makes them to be those who care for the kingdom of God. That's where it was manifested at that time. What is important is fruit is thus expected, isn't it? For example, parents, you expect your children, if you give them something, to say thank you, to be thankful. Or if you have a friend and you give them something, you expect them to be thankful to you. So also God expects fruit when he bestows the kingdom of God there upon his people. Not outward fruit. There was plenty of that, wasn't there? Doesn't God say of Judah and Israel that their sacrifices are a stench in his nostrils? That is, it is that outward obedience and law upon law, but there is not love from their hearts. He gave them promises. He gives them the ceremonial and the civic laws. There should be the fruit of faith. There should be a holding to that promise of God, of the Redeemer who is going to come. There should be the fruit then of repentance of sin, sorrow for sin. And there should be the fruit also then of thankfulness, of lives dedicated and lived for God. Where is the fruit? There was not that fruit. And is that not also true for the church today? The church visible consisting of elect and reprobate. How many privileges God gives to the church. There is the ministry of the word week after week. There are the sacraments. There is the Christian education that our children receive. There is the wonderful communion of saints. And what is our calling in the new dispensation? What fruit should we be bringing? Are we going to take that kingdom of God and prize it in the promise of Christ Jesus and live thankful lives of obedience? Lives of love? For that kingdom is entrusted to his church to be used for God's benefit and when it's used instead in sin for bringing ourselves forward for getting a place for ourselves what a terrible sin that is then we also are without excuse the vineyard of the Lord notice with me in the second place then The treatment of that vineyard. The wicked husbandman. Christ comes here and he is being challenged by the chief priest, by the Pharisees. What authority do you have? In other words, they're saying, We didn't approve of you, Jesus Christ. In fact, they would charge Jesus that he is going against the teaching of Moses and all the laws. Jesus doesn't go against them, but rather he is the fulfillment and he is the culmination of the law and the prophets. So Christ is not hostile to the Old Testament, but rather he is the fulfillment of it. But there are these wicked husbandmen. Jesus is looking at them in their eyes. Wicked husbandmen who are there to care for the kingdom of God. And when Jesus Christ comes, they're against him. And what Jesus is saying here, this is really nothing new. Isn't this what they have been doing all through their history? Beginning with Moses all the way to John the Baptist? For you see, these servants that the landowner is sending to his property to get the fruit, they were hurt. They were persecuted. They were killed. They were stoned. And one can go through the whole history of Israel and one finds that that is the way they treated the prophets who came to them. Christ standing here in that hostile relationship. They reject him as they have rejected all those before him. What a terrible thing this is. We can read of that in different passages of God's word, of how they do that. I'm thinking way back already in Chronicles, Second Chronicles. We read there, Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen. And they polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent unto them by his messengers, raising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, and they despised his words, and they misused his prophets. Until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. Yes, those husbandmen in our parable refer to especially now these Jewish leaders. Rather than bringing the people to Christ Jesus, They are scattering the sheep. They're turning them away from Christ. In fact, they said, if anyone mentions the name of Jesus when they come to the sanctuaries or to the temple, they will be banished. But those wicked husbandmen are not just the Jewish leaders, but it is the whole of the nation of Judah. The whole nation. And God is going to take that kingdom of God away from the Jews and give it to another. Oh, notice, not everyone in the nation of Judah. There are the elect in Judah who love, who looked forward to the coming of Christ. Think of old Simeon and Anna, how they rejoiced. And think of the saints the apostles, and those who would hear the words, those husbandmen is the apostate Israel. For not all of Israel are Israel, are they? So it is not only the Jewish leaders, but it is the apostate Old Testament church, the nation of Judah, that are these wicked husbandmen. They despise the word of God. These generations, just it wasn't only in Jesus' day, but all the way from Moses on, there was that kind of opposition, wasn't there? God would send the prophets, and those prophets would call the people to repentance. They would express their grief and their sorrow at the sin that was going on in the nation. They would warn them of what was going to come from Moses all the way to John the Baptist, each in their own time, each in their own calling in Israel's history. They warned, they threatened when they saw the sins of the nation. They called Israel again and again and again to repentance and to bring forth the fruit of Of God's vineyard. And those prophets never wearied. Let's jump to today. For we are called also to witness. To God's church aren't we? To witness to and within that church. To the unfaithful. The call goes out. To wicked husbandmen, to repent of their sins and to produce fruit of truth, righteousness. But there have been, in the New Dispensation, aren't there, unfaithful ministers. Unfaithful ministers who claim they are working in God's vineyard, but they will not turn from their evil ways. What they do is they feed the people husks instead of corn. Instead of sermons, songs, and dances and films, they act as if the vineyard is their own to do with as they please. And they scatter the sheep rather than gather them. That sin develops in the kingdom. And God sends servants. And more servants, and even greater servants, Isaiahs, Jeremiahs, Daniels, and the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist. The first prophets, they whip with whips. Then they murder them, and finally they stone them like they did Stephen. With the increase of power and authority in those servants that God sends to his church, there's also then an increase in the husbandmen to rebel, to reject, to despise. What a terrible thing. Look at those prophets that they were sent. Boys and girls... Do you remember when we had a series of sermons on the prophet Elijah? What did King Ahab and Jezebel try to do to Elijah? Kill him. Kill him. They didn't want his word. Or think of that young boy, Joash, who was saved by Jehoiada, the high priest, and his wife. What did he do? He killed the prophet Zechariah, who was the son of Jehoiada the high priest, because he didn't want to hear that word of God. Or from catechism, do you remember boys and girls, Jeremiah, who has to bring the word of God? And what happens to him? He's put down into a damp well with wet clay rotting his feet. Or bringing the word of God, or Isaiah. Even before he's called to preach, he's told that the people won't listen to him, and if tradition is correct, he is cut asunder by a wooden saw during the reign of wicked King Manasseh. John the Baptist, he comes. And he's thrown into prison, and his head is cut off. And the Jews didn't scream at that, about that at all to Herod, did they? They kill the prophets, just as we read there in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And that's what Stephen also says, doesn't he, in Acts, when he's about to be stoned. Acts chapter 7, I believe it's verse 50 and 51. Ye stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, do you always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye? Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have just now been the betrayers and the murderers. Oh, the wickedness of the husbandmen. They did not want to hear those prophets. And in rejecting the word of the prophets, they were right then through that whole history of Israel really rejecting Christ. Christ because it is Christ who is speaking to them in the prophets. And then you have the husbandman, or the landowner. They won't hear the servants I send to them, even though I send more of them, more powerful ones. I will send my own son. Surely they will receive him. Mark even puts it more bluntly. I'm going to send my only begotten son to them. There, the landowner's frustration and his hopes that they're going to receive his son do not carry through to the antitype, really the answer of the parable. For our God is not frustrated And surely God did not really think that the Jewish leaders or the Jewish nation at that time were going to honor Christ Jesus. No, he knew. God knew that they would reject him and nail him to the cross. The Son of God rejected, put to death. But that's also where there's a difference between the parable and the reality. For in the parable, the landowner loses his son. Oh yes, the landowner will come. And the beauty of Matthew's gospel here is he relates. Jesus puts the question to these unbelieving Jewish leaders. Jesus says, what will I do? What will I do? When the Lord of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? And they say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen which shall render him the fruits of their seasons. By their own word, they have judged themselves. Christ comes to them, and they reject him. But unlike the parable, that landowner does not have a son any longer. God means all this for good. It's God's kingdom. And yes, he has them despise and reject Jesus Christ. In fact, put him on the cross a couple days later. Because the stone that is rejected becomes the headstone of the corner. The very rejection of Jesus by the Jews nailing him to the cross is your and my salvation. And it brings about Jesus Christ's exaltation at God's right hand. The kingdom of God that was entrusted for a little while to the Jewish nation. And the kingdom of God that is entrusted now to the church, the elect, becomes the kingdom of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist had said, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection, has established that kingdom. It's his kingdom. And that kingdom is now given over, isn't it? To Christ Jesus, and it's given over to the elect church. What will we do with that kingdom? Will we bow down before the Word of God that He gives His people? Or will we be hardened by that Word? And the sacraments that we see portrayed before our eyes, will we behold it in faith and will we behold the Lord Jesus Christ, His body broken and His blood poured out for our salvation? Or will we despise Him? We turn our back on him. You see, sin develops, doesn't it? That sin developed in the Old Testament, Judah. That the more prophets that came, the more they rejected them. The more that they would steal, uh, stone him, stone them, and murder them, and harden their hearts. And that sin also continues to develop in today. How many are those that try to silence the prophets? Think a moment of your church history. Stephen, very early in the beginning of the church, stoned to death. During the medieval time, think of what the Roman Catholic Church did to godly men. Whether it be a Huss, John Huss, or whether it be a Wycliffe, or a Luther. Think of the red blood of the martyrs that has flowed in the church. You see, the opposition to the kingdom of God has not lessened. Satan, who was after the woman who was going to conceive the man-child, Because he could not snatch the man-child away, now is after the church. What persecution there is, what opposition there is to the message, as we heard this morning, that there is only one way of salvation. I tell you people, that's not going to go over very well in our society as we continue as a society to become more engrossed in sin. That's not a popular stand. It's so exclusive. There's only one way to be saved. You have to believe in Jesus Christ crucified and risen again. All those other people are not going to be saved. Opposition. Opposition that's going to finally lead up to the Antichrist coming. That Antichrist who's not only opposed to Jesus Christ, but the Antichrist that wants to stand in the place of Christ. Just as those wicked husbandmen, they wanted to have that vineyard for themselves. The Antichrist wants the praise and the glory and the honor that belongs to Jesus Christ and what tribulation is coming and unlike the premillennialists that believe that the church is somehow raptured before the tribulation that's not true expect expect persecution for your faith expect persecution for the particular stands that we have as protestant reformed churches we will not be loved for it we seem so exclusive sin Continues to develop. Israel's history and the church's history is written with the blood of the martyrs. Jesus warns about that if you turn in your Bibles from Matthew 21 to Matthew 23. Listen to the Lord Jesus Verse 29, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous, and you say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have partaken with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them that killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, you generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall you scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth. From the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zacharias, the son of Baccharis, whom he slew between the temple and the altar. And then you got that lament of Jesus, don't you? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered my children to, thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings. And ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till ye say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Persecution. Wicked husbandmen rejected Christ Jesus when he came in the flesh, but God uses it to exalt his Son as the Lord of his church. He is now the Lord of his kingdom. It is established. And may we fall down and worship. What would be awful? What would be awful if we would shake our heads like this and say, oh, 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 those awful bad Jewish leaders, those rebellious people in Judah. We would never do that. Be careful what you say with your mouth. Because you don't boast in your own strength. By the grace of God, may we be humbled when we hear the word of God when it talks about our sins. May we be filled with sorrow for our sins, our shortcomings. And then out of love and gratitude to our Lord, may we give our lives, our service, our talents, our time. For the kingdom of God. The stone rejected is made by God the cornerstone. They looked at that stone and they said, away with that stone. You can't build on that stone. And God says, yes, I'm going to build that stone. And so Peter has that beautiful passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, doesn't he? How we are lively stones built upon that foundation of Christ Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 and following, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them that stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Many fall over that stone. That's what Jesus says after the parable as he applies it, doesn't he? In fact, it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for those who've been raised in the church and then turned their back on those teachings More is going to be required of you and me because of the blessings that God has given to us in the church and our Christian education, our Christian homes. Not standing in our own strength, but by the grace of God, believing in Christ Jesus. That stone analogy is such a beautiful thing as Jesus goes from that parable of the vineyard to the stone because in Israel's history, they knew their scriptures. They knew Daniel's wonderful answering of that dream that Nebuchadnezzar has of a stone, don't they? What happens, boys and girls, when that stone comes down from above, cut? Out without hands, in other words, given by God, that's our Lord Jesus, as that stone comes down, the kingdoms of this world are destroyed, but watch, watch that stone, because it might have been a small little insignificant stone rejected by many, who is this Jesus of Nazareth? Destroying the kingdoms of this world, that stone grows and grows and grows and fills the whole earth. Oh, beloved, what is the conclusion of this parable and Jesus telling it to these wicked men at that time? Number one, sin develops in the line of generations, even as that sin developed all through Judah's history. So that sin also develops in the church. Opposition to Christ Jesus crucified and risen again from the dead. Terrible. Terrible it will be to be in that kingdom that is numbered amongst them and not bring forth the fruit that is expected the fruit of clinging to the promise of Christ Jesus, the fruit of sorrow for sin, repentance, and the fruit of grateful lives lived for God's glory and in the service of his kingdom. Sodom and Gomorrah will rise up in judgment Against those who've seen those works and heard those words of Jesus Christ. And so also today. And the conclusion is this, beloved God will establish his kingdom. The cornerstone is the foundation of that church and the lively stones will be built upon it. What a building that will be. God dwelling in his people. The church will abide. That church will abide immovable, producing fruit to God's glory. Because it's God, the landowner, who owns that kingdom, has turned it over to his Christ and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. People of God, don't take the blessings of the church for granted. Don't despise that feeble preaching of the word which seems foolish to the world. Count it all joy that God in his faithfulness has continued to give us the ministry of his word and the sacraments and Christian schools so that you and I, members of that kingdom of God, live for him. Amen. Father in heaven, what a story, what a parable. Jesus speaks to his evil generation only a couple days before his death. And how marvelous is the work of God. Our God uses the sin of these wicked men to nail his son to the cross. So that through the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus Christ... Jesus is that cornerstone and the church of Jesus Christ is being built. We thank thee for our Lord Jesus and we thank thee that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ is in thy hand and will prevail and we look forward with eagerness to that day when Jesus comes again. Receive our thanks. Amen.